When you need the independence to speak your mind, you take it on the all-new talk radio, Freedom, Freedom. 106.5 FM. You're tuned into the all-new Freedom, 106.5. 106.5. Good morning, Trinidad and Tobago. Good morning to the world and welcome, welcome, welcome. Hi, Tasca. Good morning, good morning, good morning. <laughs> welcome, it's Freedom, 106.5 FM. Today is Thursday. So much happening today. Yeah. Don't forget, guys, we have a doctor's on call that's coming up. But let me tell you, yeah, get to your phones, get to your phones, because I know you have questions for the doctors. And this morning, we're going to be talking about... Uh, I will let Dr. Nadira Rambukas tell you all. <laughs> it's Caribbean Tusca. We are going all the way to 12 noon. I want to thank Satyesh so much for holding down the past three. Awesome mm-hmm. conversations. The discussions are on point, Tusca. More information is needed. Mm. You know, and I'm glad that we can have these conversations right here on Freedom 106.5, mm-hmm. you know, keep you informed so that when the time comes, you mm. know how to make your decision. Yes, yes. You know? All right, guys, let's jump straight into Doctors on Call with uh, Dr. Nadira Rambakas. Uh, and we have a special guest, Doctor. I'm going to let her introduce you. So, guys, uh, doctors, good morning, good morning, good morning. How are we? Good morning, Cara. Good morning, Tosca. And good morning, listeners. And I want to welcome today Dr. Oliver. He is uh, um, a graduate of the University of the West Indies. Uh, His career and personal goals have been aligned with improving breast disease and breast cancer care in Trinidad and Tobago. From 2007, he has been in the field of surgery and completed his Doctor of Medicine in Surgery to become a consultant surgeon in 2016. Dr. Oliver was awarded a Prakash Scholarship by the University of Toronto, Canada in 2020 to pursue his fellowship in breast and breast surgical oncology. He is a fellow of the Caribbean Fellowship of Surgeons, American College of Surgeons, and is a member of the American Society of Breast Surgeons. He currently works as a consultant breast surgeon, general surgeon in the public and private sector as well as an associate lecturer in the Department of Clinical Sciences, the University of the West Indies. Training of general surgery residents in breast surgical oncology is another passion of this doctor. So welcome, Dr. Olivier. Morning, morning. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank I hope so I'm pronouncing much. your name correctly. Yeah, I think you are. Precisely. Olivier, nice. <laughs> because Cara wanted to know how to pronounce your first name. Oh, it's, it's Laurent. Laurent. See, I had it Laurent. mixed up. I had about three different pronunciations for your name. <laughs> it's, 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 it's name is actually French. So when I was in Canada for that year, they actually pronounced it Olivier. Oh. But in Trinidad, it's Olivier. Olivier. Yeah, nice. so when I'm trying to be fancy, I'll say Olivier. Aye, aye, aye. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yeah. So, Dr. Olivier, how long have you been practicing medicine? Um, I graduated in, 20, in 2006, so roughly I would say about 18 years, plus, plus or minus. Um, I've been in, in surgery since 2009, 2008, um, after my internship. Uh, so it's been a while. I mean, you're actually bringing it to reality and bringing it to light how long I've been doing this. So it's been a while. What was your motivation for choosing general surgery in particular and then subspecializing in breast issues and breast cancer surgery? 
So, I mean, I really, even before talking about general surgery, probably want to discuss getting into medicine in the whole. I think I, I, I grew up in the background of the health center and the hospital because my mom was a dental nurse, or retired dental nurse, and my dad was an ambulance driver. So I've always been after school in the hospital. And then from there, I got my desire for medicine. And surgery really is an exciting um, concept because I think early medical school, I realized that um, the surgical field, you know, there's a special joy in practicing surgery because it's really distinguished art and craft of the body and performing, you know, tech difficult surgical procedures. And yeah, ever since uh, being a child, I always love arts. I love the precision. I love the attention to detail. And I think that is transferable actually in surgery. You can actually make decisions and be you know, precise in every little detail and aspect. And one of the most difficult things really in the personality is one of never being contented. So always striving to be better. And I think surgery always gives you that, that component of trying to improve your surgical technique and your skill. So, but in terms of breast oncology, that's that's the next interesting concept. So throughout my training and residency in general surgery, you know, you always want to find that niche. You want to find, I think it's human nature. I think we all have that nature where we want to find to make a difference, to make a change. And looking at the landscape of the surgeons within the country, we were definitely, um, I wouldn't say void of, of having breast surgeons, but we didn't really have fully trained breast surgeons. I think we had one or two. Um, so it was a niche that I think I could have definitely make a change. And that's what you want to do as a human being, at least to make a change, especially in your country. So I think it's a bit of patriotism as well as nationalism, actually wanting to do breast oncology. And it led me along that path. And I think this is exactly where God wants me to be. I think it really has, you know, it really is when you reach a particular age in a field, you really realize that this is what you're meant to do, you know, and and, and there's no, no financial rewards. There's nothing more priceless than actually finding something that you think you were meant to do and make a change. And what in your practice, other than breast disorders, what is the most common surgical disorders that you often encounter? Well, I mean, now I am sub-specialized, you will see, I'm super specialized that I only deal with breast and breast oncology. Yes, I may encounter some general surgery, but where I am in the public sector, and mainly in private sector now, I'm overwhelmed really with breast oncology and breast cancer. Um, you know, it's really, really, it, it really stems from the joy of, of having oncology is a special field um, because really you have a patient, if you can imagine, client coming into your office with anxiety, drenched with fear and anxiety, and, and you know, they, they, you, you are there with them, you know, wading through these questions and concerns and trying to give them that hand, that support to make them feel that, you know, even though that they are sad and they're crying, you know, one of the biggest enjoyment I have really is seeing that patient that comes in sad and depressed, leaving still crying possibly but you know that joy and that happiness of actually seeing hope and having someone or having a team to take care of them through all this ordeal and let's go a little bit about breast diseases and breast disorders should all women examine their breasts and um, at what age you should start how often and should doctors examine breasts as well and yeah. I, I know after age of 40 mammograms are recommended but could you just guide us so i mean from the american society of breast surgeons and the nccn guidelines they, they talk about risk stratification you know you want in everything in terms of where you start talking about screening 
and examinations and what have you. It's really about risk stratification to see what's your risk, you know, your average risk or your high risk. Let's just put two broad categories. Average risk is, is a woman walking on the street with no family history of breast cancer. You know, there's, there's no previous surgeries to suggest they had cancer or any pre-malignant or predisposing cancer conditions. Um, those are average risk. Um, generally, you see, you make that assessment to see your risk by age 25, and then you can start your clinical examinations based on that risk assessment. Um, so for example, average, you probably want to start your clinical examinations by age 30. Um, and if you are high risk, obviously you start your clinical examination by age 25. And that will lend down now to, to mammography and screening. Um, based on that risk stratification, you will determine when you need to do screening. For example, yes, you clearly you know, um, said that you should start screening at age 40. Um, in America, there are two, two societies. There were the U.S. Task Force and then there the Cancer Society so, um, group. And they both had skewed views and when they should screen, but actually, I think U.S. Task Force actually comes to 40 now. American Society of Breast Surgeon is 40 now. In Canada, we were 50. In Trinidad, we practice WHO 50, but I think it's something that I want to push more for 40. Being in, in the limelight of breast cancer, I see a lot of patients, unfortunately. It's something I want to appraise, but I see a lot of patients under the age of 40 or even under the age of 50. It's a fear number. So I think if we wait until age 50, that's 10 years of possible disease that is there that will present at a later stage. So I think mammography at age 40 is recommended and clinical examination, um, probably based on your risk stratification. So do you recommend that women do self-breast examinations? How often? And then a clinical one that is done by a doctor and how often should they? Yes. So I, I you know, so NCCN and all the guidelines, the, the evidence does not show for self-breast examinations um, in terms of reducing mortality risk or have you, but I, I think it's a clear rule. Um, especially in a setting that we have in the Caribbean where we don't have, a, a, what do you say, a national screening program. You know, it's really based on, I feel an abnormality and I go on screen. And that's not how screening should be. Screening should be at a set age you do your, your um, screening investigation. But a clinical examination, I recommend most, again, based on your risk certification, let's just give out age, titty. Um, I would recommend that you examine your breast if you're still seeing your menstrual cycle um, seven days after your, your menstrual cycle because that's when the breast is less dense and you can feel abnormality. Self-examination does not have to be a clinical examination. It does not have to be one that a doctor will perform, but it's really an awareness of your breast. What I want you to be is aware of your breast, know what is normal for you. So basically, I, when patient comes to me in clinical examination, I would say to them, this is your baseline. We have done all the investigations. Everything is normal. This is your baseline. This is normal for you. So every seven days after your period, I want you to examine yourself. And if it is that you feel an abnormality, a change, even just a small deformity where it looks different, um, you know, then seek consultation and get an examination by a physician. And yes, the yearly physician examination should also be done based on your risk allocation, but by age 35 as well, I would say yearly and start your clinical exam by age 30. Besides breast cancer, there are other breast disorders that you encounter in your practice. Is this like age limited? And what are these non-cancerous um, changes? So, you know, we will think in, in a breast clinic, the most number one presentation is one of breast cancer, but actually is what you're saying, breast pain, a benign breast lump, a non-cancerous breast lump, a nipple discharge. Um, you know, those are the most common presentations. Um, this already is initially it was categorized as fibrocystic uh, changes, disease of the breast. But, you know, we have realized that all majority, at least 68% of women will experience it in their lifetime. So it's actually changed to fibrocystic changes of the breast. And these are all grouped into things like breast cysts, 
um, breast lumps, um, thickening of the breast, or what you would call a lumpy, bumpy breast. You know, um, what is really the description of um, a bit of thickening of the breast components and a bit of cysts that will give you the bumps and the, the lumpy aspect of it. So a breast cyst really is, as the name suggests, it's a bag of fluid. Um, really, it's the, the breast is a gland, and a gland will have fluid within it. The gland will produce fluid, and sometimes they get trapped into this 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 membrane. Um, so it's like a tin bag of fluid, and then you could have solid lumps, you know, which is really just fibrosis and thickening of the components of the breast, which is things like the, you know, the collagen, the the breast tissue, the the lymphatics, the you know, all the different components of the breast, um, and those are all grouped together to what you call fibrocystic changes of the breast. There are other benign disorders of the breast as well. Is that age dependent or is it just something that uh, we discover by doing tests and so forth? Yeah, so be before I even examine or explain all those things, I really see that the, the breast has three main life cycles. Really, there's the developmental phase where you start from when you start having your menses um, from age 12 to about age 18 to 20. And then you have that cyclical phase where you go where the breast has the cyclical changes um, between age 18 to 35. And then from 35 to 50, that's why you have your involution phase, so 35 to menopause. Um, and within those various phases, you have various experiences. So within the phase of, I would say, the developmental phase, that's where you get the benign lumps such as the fibroadenomas, which are really overgrowth of normal breast tissue responding to the estrogen. Because as I said, the gland, the breast is a gland, so it responds to hormones, and you have those physiological changes from the hormones. And then the cyclical phase is that down and up changes with your monthly cycle and your hormonal fluctuations and changes. And then the last involution phase, that's where the breast actually changes, where you know you have this dense fibroglandular breast tissue in, your, in a younger age group, and then it starts to become a bit softer because it's converting from that fibroglandular tissue into fatty tissue. And that's where you tend to get entrapment of cysts and those changes because the breast is transitioning. So you tend to get those cysts and those changes more in that age group. Um, and then after menopause, really, you should not be having fibrocystic changes of the breast. So any lumps that presents after the age of menopause, you should seek consultation immediately. So that's a broad and important point to bring forward. You know, if you have a lump or a complaint, I will probably allow you four weeks, a menstrual cycle before you seek consultation. But if after the age of menopause, you have any abnormality in your breast, you should seek consultation one time, you know, because the key component of breast cancer really is early diagnosis, early treatment, which allows us the best opportunity for cure. So this is what we're doing is what is important. Yes, I can do all the big surgeries. I can do anything fancy, um, but really it's, it's being aware, you know, having awareness, having these talks as often as possible, um, because this is where we can make a change. Right. And um, jumping a little bit onto breast cancer, do we have any information about the incidence of breast cancer in Trinidad? So, I, I mean, I, I won't criticize our system, but I think, as, as you know, in our system, it's quite difficult to get data. I think, we, you know, we're trying to make that transition from people, from, from you know, into soft copy, um, but sometimes it's difficult to get documentation. But, you know, the last data I had from um, one of the, the cancer societies in Trinidad um, for Women's Health, they actually quoted um, between 2014 to 2018, there were about 1,900 diagnosed breast cancer. So that's over a five-year period. That's roughly about, I would say, about 550 new cases are diagnosed per year. And then they had a mortality of roughly 1,100, which works out about 250 cases of death secondary to breast cancer per year. So that's astounding. That's that's a significant number. And as you can tell, definitely I know we are underreported. 
Yeah. So I, we, we know that definitely those values are substantially greater than what we are actually bringing forward now. And what are some of the risk factors for breast cancer? <clears throat> You know, so you, you want to talk about, when you talk about risk factors, you want to talk about modifiable and non-modifiable. So we probably talk about the non-modifiable, meaning that things that you can't change, things that you are born with, um, things that are passed on from generations. For, for example, you know, your, your familial history, um, which interestingly only accounts for 10% of breast cancers, 90% of breast cancers are sporadic. So, you know, um, your genetic history, your family history, also just being a woman, unfortunately, one in eight women in a lifetime will have breast cancer. That's a 12% risk of breast cancer. Another is getting more mature, as I would say, getting older. Um, that increase your risk of breast cancer. <laughs> See, you're shaking your head. It's something that you just can't avoid. You know that your risk of breast cancer substantially increased. For a woman in their 30s, I would say in a room, one in 229 women will have, will have a breast cancer at that time. So that's about 0.3%, 0.39%, what have you. But women in her 60s, one in 28 women or one in 29 women, I might be slightly off, um, that's about 3.4% risk, 10-year risk of getting breast cancer. So you can see there's a substantial increase as you get older. Um, so those are really the, the ones that you cannot modify um, in terms of genetics, in terms of a family, in terms of age. Um, the other ones that you could modify, it's just risk factors, it's an association. We talk about really is about estrogen exposure because we think estrogen has a big role um so we will start talking about early onset of your monthlies um for example in menarche when you started your your, your having a, your, your monthlies at before the age of 12 or before the age of 10 there's an association because you start having estrogen exposure at an earlier age and if you look at that and the extent as well patients who have their their menopause or the stop of the cycle at a later age means that their time period between onset and discontinuation is greater so your estrogen exposure is greater so your risk is greater um, patients who take oral contraceptive pills or hormone replacement therapy i i don't want to cause a, a significance you know uproar but really it's a transient risk and it's very small um and it's really risk relative risk so it's a relative risk in terms of as i give you the stratification of the risk percentage for each it's really multiplied by a factor um so if your relative risk for a particular age is low when you multiply by that relative factor it's really not that substantial so it's transient and it's minimal but we know that once you discontinue the oral conceptive pill it decreases and it actually the risk is gone um breastfeeding um is supposed to be a benefit as well um what we think what we believe is that when you breastfeed your hormone levels are discontinued so that prolonged period of menarche and stopping of having your periods is, is discontinued um, and then it also causes some sort of maturation of the breast tissues which is supposed to be protective as well alcohol it's a very interesting one every time i give these talks to a woman group or some group you know it's an uproar because i would say alcohol is directly related to breast cancer um, we know that's a 10 percent risk when you drink alcohol, um, you know, if we want to quantify it, you know, they talk about uh, Dr. Trump, because <laughs> if you want to quantify it, you know, you talk about a beer, you know, that value one drink um, is substantial enough. More than that one, more than that one drink can substantially increase your risk of breast cancer. So I will actually recommend abstinence from alcohol or reduction from alcohol. Uh, but everything is in moderation, I would like to tell most of my patients um exercise i mean we know that there's a reduction in risk of breast cancer um if you exercise regularly um again all these things are very difficult to quantify but we know that there is a relative reduction um things about healthy diet 
um, diet itself really is supposed to be a reduction by about 30%. Um, what is exactly a healthy diet? You know, it can be quantified as well. Um, and then we'll talk about stress. You know, we all believe that stress will call cancer. So there was a big study. Um, you know, when we talk about studies, we talk about randomized trials and we compare multi-institutional studies. There's a big study, I think it was, I might be wrong, I think it's 2016, where they actually showed that there was no actual direct, direct relationship between stress and um, breast cancer. But what they showed is that it actually leads to activities that increase your risk, like smoking, like drinking alcohol. So that the stress itself does not cause uh, breast cancer risk, but really it is the the the, the events that happens from it. Um, and those are really, really risk um, factors that I would say that are associated with breast cancer, but really and truly, we're really not certain exactly what's causing it. But we know that breast cancer is the number one cancer in the world. In 2021, there were 2.3 million women diagnosed with breast cancer, and there was 685,000 women died from breast cancer. Previously, it was number two. Now it's number one in terms of incidence and mortality. So breast cancer is a substantial issue. And, and we know that breast cancer affects mainly women. It could affect men. But we know women are the pillars of actually our Caribbean countries and, you know, and most societies. So we know that you know, it really rocks and affects the family tremendously. So it's something that we have to focus on. It's more of why I definitely pick oncology, breast oncology, as something that I want to do. Because I know it's definitely something that, that needs to be um, guided and managed at an ideal setting. Thank you, Dr. Oliver. We have to take a short commercial break, and when we come back, we'll be talking more about breast issues and breast cancer. Thank you. Yes, this is Freedom 106.5 FM 922. We are going to take a quick break. Uh, guys, don't forget you can send us those messages via WhatsApp, 306-1065. We are talking about... Uh, breasts and we are talking about a, a breast oncologist yeah i i'm very concerned about the alcohol you, you part. if we could revisit that please tell me that we can still drink red wine <laughs> at least one glass i'm sure you know? he would tell us but when we come back it's much more discussions this is doctors on call we're going to take a quick break when we come back it's much more Welcome back. It's Freedom 106.5 FM. Carrie V alongside Tusca. Good morning to you, Trinidad and mm -hmm. Tobago. And right now we are in Doctors on Call. We are here with Dr. Olivier. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I got that right. He's a breast surgeon alongside Dr. Nadira Rambukas. Let's welcome them back. Hi, doctors. Welcome back. Thanks, Thank Carol. So we're talking today about breast conditions and breast cancer. Dr. Olivier... Could you explain um, what signs women should look for when they examine their breast, uh, whether it be like dimpling of the skin, lumps, bumps, underarms, nipple discharge, and, um, and then when they should get worried and seek medical care? Right. So, I mean, just re-mention re that, again, any abnormality before the age of menopause um, really Sometimes it can be cyclical changes. So I would recommend about three to four weeks until the next cycle. But on menopause or any abnormalities, you can see consultation. So the most common presentation um, in Trinidad actually will be um, a breast lump. That's because we don't have a screening program. So in Toronto, most of my patients would have presented with an abnormality on an imaging. So as soon as they started screening, they would have picked up an abnormality. So again, that really gives us an idea of it presenting at a later stage in Trinidad outcomes. So a lump, um, a lump may generally, if it's an abnormality, let's say it's, it's a, 
cancerous abnormality it tends to be firm or hard um, um, you may have some dimpling where that lump actually connects to the fibers that holds the breast tissue it could cause pulling of the of the skin and cause some tellering and dimpling of the skin sometimes you can have uh in worse presentations you could even have ulcers to the skin where you can have redness and ulcers and break the tumor to the skin sometimes you can get this orange peel appearance which is called pure orange um really it's an a sign of block lymphatics which is the fluid that fights infections in our body that's blocked by the cancer and cause that that poor like orange peel appearance that's really a, a ominous sign for very advanced breast cancer but one of the most important things i actually wrote an article about is is we have this innate nature as human beings that if i don't have pain then i don't have an abnormality i think it's this human first thing that if something is wrong we should have pain a lot of my patients will come doc i have this lump for like five years or have this lump for three years and it never caused any pain but now it's causing pain so the main take-home message really is that you may have a lump that is painless that does not mean it's not a good lump it could most likely still be a breast cancer i'm not saying it is all you know it's cancer in all occasions but generally the point of absence of pain does not mean that it's not something that is ominous or worrisome right so a lump a painless lump is also an issue you can also have a discharge from the nipple nipple discharge are very interesting you can have white nipple discharge which is from um from for act for increase certain hormones in your brain from breastfeeding you could have um nipple discharge as a clear which are the ones i get a bit concerned about you can have bloody nipple discharge which most of the times could be from cancer as well as most times it's really from a benign lump within the breast and then you could have the green the gray the brown the yellow which is really <laughs> which is really a benign physiological change where you have a bit of dilation of those pipes um behind the nipple so the breast quickly is made up of really glands and glands are which produce the milk and then those glands that produce the milk are transferred towards the nipple by ducts and those ducts or those pipes behind the nipple can get dilated and can cause a nipple discharge that is green or brown which is a physiologically normal process as well um but really a unilateral nipple discharge one that is on one side a bloody or a clear nipple discharge when you look at your nipple, you see multiple pores, a one uniductal nipple discharge. Those are the ones that I get concerned. So again, as I will teach my medical students, unilateral, uniductal, clear or bloody, um, or even associated with a lump with a nipple discharge is something that I get worried about. So that's recapping again, breast mass, tethering, dimpling, nipple discharge, period orange. Um, sometimes you can have the vague pain of a lot of patients will come and say they have the sharp stabbing pain um, which is very rare only treat a purpose in the breast cancers can present with pain and then also you have the armpit the armpit is where the, the body's army um, protects uh, where the, the army resides so any infection or any sort of malignancies or irritation within the breast or the upper limb really can cause lymph nodes as well sometimes we have the occult breast cancer where there's no abnormality seen in the breast but there's breast cancer found in the armpit so a, a mass in the armpit is another one as well um, and generally change in shape um, so I tell a woman that when they, they do the clinical examination you'll stand up in front of the mirror um, or your significant other and you put your hands on the side um, you're looking for shape and symmetry of the breast again from that ground zero after we do the examination what you should be normal for you and then you place your hands on your hip placing your hands on the hip actually cause contraction of the pectoralis or the chest muscles which the breast is attached to by ligaments so any distortion or any um, tumor invading these attachment ligaments can cause distortion in the breast and then the most important one that sometimes really highlights an issue that is probably not visible and just looking at the breast is where you ask to raise your both arms over your head 
like when you were in primary school and you were placed in the corner. Now that had happened to me. Um, and you were asked to put your hands above your head and stand up. That's a nice way also to examine the breasts. But generally those are the ones I think um, really um, presentation. There's one last one that is very intriguing um, is a nipple rash. Um, it's a very rare one, it's something called Paget's disease of the, of the nipple. It's actually a rare breast cancer, very, very interesting one. But the, the important concept I want patients to, to grasp, and I know it's probably not the forum for that, but how do you distinguish the two? You have Paget's of the nipple and then you have nipple eczema. Nipple eczema is really a rash or some sort of irritation from, for example, your clothing or some sort of new cream or what have you. It really starts on the areola, which is the outside rim of the nipple, of the that, that breast with that darker complexion. And then it goes towards the nipple. Versus the cancer, which I call pagets of the nipple, really starts from the nipple itself. And it's like a volcano. It starts from within the nipple itself and it overflows outwards. So nipple eczema starts from the outwards to inwards versus pagets starts from the inwards to outwards. Yeah, but really that's our responsibility as physicians to, to identify. Again, it's another presentation, a nipple rash, nipple discharge, nipple irritation, lumps, bumps, tethering, um, changing color or appearance of the breast really are really what are some of the common findings in breast cancer. Could you take us through, for instance, if a, a, a patient comes to you with a breast lump, could you take us through the history and examination? Will you explain most of the examination, but the history mm. taking and then what tests you would order that would follow through and is it age dependent? Yeah. So the consultation is really key. You know, um, as a surgeon, we'll always think that the most important aspect of, of being a surgeon is operating. But one of my mentors um, always say that surgery is only 10 to 15%. You can teach any monkey to operate, but really, <laughs> really it stems from good preoperative history taking and then postoperative care. That's what determines and makes you stand out as a surgeon. Um, really, so history is, is the important thing. I'm um, really, first thing before that, being a male in this field, I always try to establish some sort of comfort with the patient, you know, crack some steel daddy jokes or some sort of, you know, comments or what have you to make the patients feel a bit comfortable when they come into the office. Um, and then identify myself and then proceed to their presentation, the duration of the presentation, what exactly the presentation is, um, and, and what sort of, most of the times I'm working in a tertiary center, so they would probably come with worked up investigations. Um, but in terms of the history, I have common history questions, which stems from the risk factors. What age you started seeing your monthlies? What age you stopped seeing your period? Did you breastfeed? What age did you have your first child? Did you have any children? Children, because nulliparity or absence of having a child is also a risk factor, which I forgot to mention. Um, OCP use or conceptive pills use, sorry. And in some women who have menopause, they are given hormone replacement therapy. Um, so I ask about that. All of those things has some sort of risk, relative risk association. And then you ask about breast surgeries because you may have previous breast surgeries with previous diagnosis, which may increase your risk of breast cancer as well. And then family history of breast cancer because an integral component, as I said, 10% of breast cancers are associated with that relative risk. And then you delve into the investigations themselves, what they had previously, and then history, doing your past medical history, because one of the biggest, I'm really now writing another article about personalization of breast cancer really stems from your family history and your, your pre-morbid state. So your background in terms of if you have sugar, if you have hypertension, if you have previous cardiac disease and any surgical procedures you had in the past. And that's generally history. Then we delve into the examination um, where we will go through the exam of the armpits, the breasts. Um, and then I really, at that time, I start to conceptualize what I'm doing surgically. 
probably would not delve into that to the patient as yet, but I'm already planning what 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 awesome surgery we can do for this patient to maintain shape and symmetry and make sure we have a good cosmetic outcome as well as doing great oncological outcomes. Um, then the next step really is diagnosis. So any patient that presents with a lump in the breast clinic, as I would tell my medical students, what they call triple assessment. So history and examination, which we just discussed, then radiological investigations, which by screening, if we're doing screening, is the only recommendation is mammogram. We have adjuncts such as ultrasound scans and MRI of the breast. And then we, we talk about a tissue diagnosis. So once we have an abnormality, then the next thing is to take a sample. We have different ways to achieve a sample. The recommendation now really is what we call a needle core biopsy. It's a larger needle that we take some samples. Um, just really quickly going into it, really it's a it's an office procedure. I, I Again, I crack my seal jokes to get you comfortable. Then I make her numb the skin, make a tiny, probably a five millimeter incision into the skin. And I use a special needle as a gun really that takes some samples and some cores and, and then put on a dressing. There's no suturing. That sample is sent and we generally get a response in about a week to two weeks based on if it's public or private, not criticizing any system. Um, but um, that gives us our tissue diagnosis. And then from there, let's say we have a patient now diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, really, it's really decides on certain pathological features of that cancer to determine what realm or what treatment modality we're gonna go. But really, it's either we can decide for treatment before or surgery and then treatment after. Treatment before could be in the realm of things like chemotherapy and those are certain factors on sort of the, you know, the, the type of cancer that it is. And then surgery, we can either do two main things. We can either um, do breast preservation or breast removal. Um, I'm really not one that is keen on breast removal or certain scenarios I would consider to do that. And then once you talk about breast oncology, it's two main components, it's the breast and the armpit. So you need to do the breast surgery to remove the tumor, and then you need to do the staging aspect. And staging is where you need to get that level of which your cancer is. And part of the level of the cancer is the size of the cancer and if it has involved your armpit. And then there are different surgical procedures to appraise the armpit. And then after that, you have treatment after. Treatment after can be hormone therapy, Again, all these are based on your type of cancer. And type of cancer is what your doctor should explain. Things like the presence of your certain receptors, estrogen, progesterone, and HER2. I know I'm giving a lot of information. I'm sorry. Hopefully, if you unfortunately, if you guys have to ever encounter myself, these things will be thoroughly explained. But I'm really giving an overview. So you have adjuvant therapy, which is hormone therapy, chemotherapy, radiation therapy, and targeted therapy. And those things are really uh, factors based on um, your medical oncologist, your surgical oncologist will decide what is necessary for you. Um, could you explain, for instance, uh, if a woman discovers a lump uh, in her breast and uh, we go on to the radiological investigation, I mean, sometimes we may do blood tests prior. Uh, does it depend on uh, the age that we either do an ultrasound or a mammogram or do we do both or a breast MRI? Um, yeah. Or does it depend so on the clinical presentation? So firstly, as we were taught in medical school, um, a patient under the age of 35 tend to do all breast ultrasounds. Patients over the age of 35, we tend to do mammogram. But let's just base it on the principle of, of either investigation. Firstly, the only recommended school tool for breast screening is mammogram. Everything is adjuncts. Yes, yes, we do the other investigation, but if we're talking about screening and screening by principle is doing an investigation when there's no abnormality, but that's not what we're speaking about now. We're speaking about an actual abnormality. A mammogram is one that you do an X-ray of the breast where you take pictures of the breast. So normal breast tissue, which is fibroglandular, is going to be white. Um, fatty tissue, as you get more mature, is going to be black. 
So the backdrop of an abnormality, which is actually white, you can see if you are under the age of 35, you have more glandular to see, you have more white to see, to see an abnormality that is white, it's difficult to see. So generally mammograms are not done under the age of 35. Um, we tend to do more ultrasound scan, which is based on sound waves and gives us a nice picture for an abnormality. Mammograms can tell us if there's an abnormality, ultrasound can tell us if it's solid or cystic. Yeah, solid being a tissue mass, while cystic tends to be fluid. Um, really, so that's the indications for a mammogram and ultrasound. MRI scans of the breast really is uh, a tool that is used in high-risk breast patients. So patients, so we, when you do back to the age of 25, you get your risk stratification. If you have a risk greater than 20%, then we do breast MRIs. I know it's, it's an awesome test. Um, it works really well, but it picks up everything. It picks up benign stuff, which is non-cancer stuff and cancer stuff, and it leads to a whole heap of of difficulty in trying to differentiate and it always leads to more investigations and more biopsy to confirm the abnormality. But you know, the system is improving both internationally and locally. So it is really an awesome test, but it has to be precisely decided by a breast surgeon, I think. What about those patients and women who have breast implants? How do we screen them? Yeah, so they, they are actually screened the same way. Um, there are certain techniques that they will do um, where they will actually compress the breasts and, and the implants will be pushed backwards um, and they will be able to evaluate the breast tissue. So it does not affect um, in terms of mammogram. Again, you can still do an ultrasound scan uh, as well as you can do an MRI scan. Um, those to the MRI scan and the ultrasound scan are what we actually recommend to monitor those those breast implants. Yeah. Um, so breast implants still, you can do your screening. That's not, a, that, that's not an issue. <clears throat> Could you explain like the different types of breast cancers and which cancer is more common in our population? So again, really one of the best ways to understand medicine really is to understand the anatomy. And then you stem down from that aspect um, really in terms of the pathology. And then once you know your pathology and your anatomy, then you can figure out the surgical aspect of things. Um, the anatomy of the breast, as I discussed before, is made up really of that glandular tissue or lobules, which produce the milk. And then you have the ducts that brings the milk to the nipple. So the breast cancer really originates from those two main components. There are other ones, but I think just for this, this, this forum, I think it's important to say that you have ductal cancers, which are cancers originated from the duct, and then you have lobular cancers, which are originated from the lobules. Um, ductal cancer is the most common, which is about 80%. Lobular cancer is most is about 20%. Ductal cancer tends to present with really a mass, and um, those are the cancers that tend to be a little more mass forming versus the lobular is a bit more insidious. It's ones that lose that adherence of the, the cancer cells and this this spread in single file. Really, really a unique and a very intriguing cancer. Um, but those are the two main cancers. And then you have the pre-malignant condition. We, we cannot go without saying that because that's that's the condition what we call ductal carcinoma inside you. It's actually a misnomer. It's not a cancer, but it's a pre-malignant condition. We know that there may be that group of patients that may actually progress to cancer. And we tend to find this ductal carcinoma within the conglomerate of breast cancer itself because we believe it's a pre-malignant condition. And we actually treat it more aggressive than the cancer. When we resect it, we actually want to get greater distance between normal tissue and the cancer when I resect the tumor. And it really is given treatment such as hormone therapy and radiation therapy as additional treatment post-surgical intervention. So those are the three main cancers. You have other cancers you could have of the breast, you could have lymphoma of the breast too as well. Um, but those are the three, more, um, three main cancers of the breast that we will probably discuss. Thank you, Dr. Oliver. We have to take a short commercial break. And when we come back, we'll talk more a little bit about breast cancer. Okay, thank you. We are here with 
Dr. Olivier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a breast surgeon, and we're here with Dr. Nadira Rambukas as well. Send us those messages via WhatsApp 306-1065. You can call us as well, 627-3223-625-2257. All right, so we have two questions coming in via WhatsApp. So the first one, if you have not been regularly doing um, your breast checks Mm -hmm. and mammograms and so on, are there any other symptoms that we can look out for? besides those uh, with the breasts. And uh, the second question is, what is your opinion on the quote-unquote nature or natural therapies that may coincide with uh, breast cancer treatments? Doctors? All right. I mean, with regards to other presentations, um, really, if you stand to talk about other presentations besides the ones we discussed, we're talking about probably a more advanced breast cancer if we focus on this breast cancer, means that the cancer has already gone to a distant site and causing other symptoms. Um, so the cancer can spread to your lungs. So it can obviously cause you shortness of breath, cause you difficulty in breathing. Um, it can spread to your liver. If it affects your liver to that stage, then it can cause liver dysfunction, um, where you can have change in the color of your eyes, change in the color of, you know, various changes in your body itself, signifying liver abnormality. And it can also spread to your bones. So you can have pathological fractures where you can have fractures for no reason. You're just walking on the street and for whatever reason, the bone is broken. And when they biopsy it, it's cancer spread to the bone. Um, then you could have obviously changes to the brain because cancer could spread to the brain as well. So really, I don't mean to cause uh, fear, but we don't want to reach that stage because that stage, I can't do anything. There's no chance for cure. It's really about palliation. And just making you comfortable probably uh. at that stage you know more alcohol use or whatever as well but really <laughs> and truly good one, um, eh? good one we don't we don't want to reach to that stage and that's what this is about this is why this is important that's why we all as you know we need to, people in, in the media is to promote this because this is the number one cancer in the world we need mm-hmm. to identify and let i tell patients all the time there must be some positivity out of this negativity mm-hmm. you must reach out and just one other person one other woman walking on the street to me like hey have you examined your breast have you done your screening because that might be the opportunity to save someone life because if if you come to me at an early stage and i resect the cancer out and it's confined to your breast you are cured when we all want if we have to get a cancer we want to be cured and it stems from this it stems from awareness it stems from not reaching to that stage of her presentation later down the road mm. in terms of natural remedies it's a topic i could cause a lot of uh, don't put yourself in no, yeah. no problems, but, you know, doctor. But I will make a, I will, I will make a statement. I will make a statement. Mm-hmm. I don't criticize any sort of treatment. Um, what we practice as physicians and as doctors is what we, we have studied and compared. Mm-hmm. So we will give you a yeah. placebo, which is something that is um, nothing, mm-hmm. versus compare our treatment and our approaches, and we can right. give you outcomes. Right. Most of the other therapies, I don't know. I do not know if they have those studies. Right, but right. I'm not criticizing. You can do whatever you like, but do not hesitate to come to myself or to come to a physician Mm. or do what you want to do but still do what we recommend because by the time you come to me as in most scenarios Mm -hmm. uh, being very correct in what I say um, it's probably too far along yeah I I can't do anything to say because you know it's it's a pet peeve Mm. but this is not the forum for that Mm. Um, but I think it's something that needs to be addressed in a particular manner Mm. um, probably with lawyers and all those things um but um really all i would say is i recommend what i'm trained to do yeah and you can you can do whatever i mean we have all 
backgrounds where we have other things that we do as a culture, um, which I cannot criticize generation to generation as far as, but please do do what is recommended and don't hesitate your presentation for, for care. Doctor, someone asked another question. Hi, good morning, Kyrie V. Good morning, doctors. What will take what will it take to have breast cancer screening introduced in the public health care system? So it's, it's something I, 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 you know, I would like to do over my next 20, 25 years in my career. But really, even if you have a desire to do it, um, it's, it hasn't been started in the Caribbean. I think you may have focal groups doing it. But how it was in, in Toronto is that when you reach a particular age as a woman, um, they send you an email and they will send you a site to get the mammograms. Oh. So that's where, the, that's where, the, and then you go get the mammograms, you get reports, and then they will say, okay, you need to call back to come back to do more investigation, or you have your mammogram the next year. Mm. So it's done. At a, the guy actually who set up screening in Toronto is actually a Trinidadian. Mm. Um, so it's interesting. He's a radiologist. Okay. Was a Trinidadian. I met him. I met him in Toronto when I was there. But what it needs is infrastructure. Mm. Um, it needs. You need to have mammogram machines that you can facilitate this. Um, in the public sector, um, really, we just need to get a certain number of mammogram machines. Let's yeah. leave it at, at that. Mm -hmm. um, but you need to have that infrastructure um, to, to offer that service. And if we don't have that, then really we'll have to be on a one-to-one -one basis where a patient decides to go on screening on their own, right. which is available in the private sector as well. Mm -hmm. um, but really, we want to make it a public um, event, and, and hopefully in time to come, that should be facilitated. Oh, we have another question. Yeah, mm -hmm. I have a question for you, doctor. In terms of younger women, let's say secondary school children uh, coming uh, straight into university and so on, what kind of uh, education or or fa facilities that are available to them so that they can have an like an early awareness of the condition so that prevention can happen? I think, especially in the university, I know there's a medical. Um, component to it, but there's the medical team and doctors that works there. I think they give talks and what have you. Um, but really it's about awareness. It's about telling exactly what we're doing here, letting mm -hmm. them know of the problem, letting them know that the age for breast cancer is, is reducing, letting them know about the risk factors and being able to identify the issues and being aware of the disease process mm -hmm. itself. Um, that's as much we can do. Um, and that really is, is, I mean, it's an awesome point. I mean, something that probably I can look into mm -hmm. in terms of the university, probably giving more talks. Mm -hmm. And, and, and actually to that group, you know, that, that freshers group that you have when you come in, probably something yeah, that we should, yeah. week, yes. you know, mm -hmm. we, we should have a talk on. And I'm, I'm keen on doing that because as you anyway, we can really make a difference. Mm. Yeah. Do Dr. Olivia, I know we are pressed for time and I know we have to finish off our interview, but I have a very important question here from someone. Someone said, what should we, what should we be asking our GP to do to, to be proactive? Okay, so what they're asking is, what should we mm -hmm. ask the, our practitioner to do to be proactive about breast cancer screening yeah um really you know it should reach uh, unfortunately i think sometimes in the private and the public sector i think you need to get a recommendation to go for screening oh. so i think that's where the political aspect of things need to be changed as well i think it should be i may be wrong but i know in certain centers you need that recommendation from a gp so i think you still need that recommendation gp to give you that request to go to do but i think mm. it should be where you should be able to walk in and get a screening so the only proactive thing i can see is that the gps identify any problems and you know as, as physicians we always focus on the problem at hand. So if you don't have a problem, it's difficult to mm -hmm. remember to, to issue that investigation. So I think we always have to focus on the patient and in its entirety and also remember that these diseases are, are prevalent and they should be sent for screening right. requests. Thank you so much, Doctor. Doctor Ramos. It's a pleasure. <laughs>
because the prevention is better than cure, right? Mm -hmm. I think um, what they were trying to ask is uh, if the GP should be advocating self-breast examination, if the other one should be conducting the clinical breast examination every year and advocating after the age of 40 for mammograms every one to two years, depending on risk factors. Mm -hmm. I think that that's what they were asking. Yeah, yeah. I think it's that. <laughs> and I, and I and I think that's that's standard. So that's why it's from from our perspective, like giving talks to medical board, um, to the to GPs again, really. So it's not just education in terms of the patients themselves, but the mm. physicians themselves to remind them of the urgency and need of doing the investigations. Yeah. Dr. Oliver, I just have one last question. Uh, Cuba is currently um, giving out a breast cancer vaccine. What are your thoughts on it? I think it's something mm. called epidemial growth factor vaccine. Do you have any idea about it and its effectiveness? I think clinical trials are ongoing in the U.S. as we speak. I, I really wouldn't want to give a, a perspective if I don't know the data from it. Um, but it's something I'll have to look into because I, I definitely did not um, know the data for it. And I don't want to give a, a, a perspective mm. of it. So it's still in this research, in the research arm field. So I'm mm. sure it's not going to be given out to the public as yet. So uh, we want to thank you today for all the information you gave today and for being here and educating us. And I want to thank my two co-hosts, but we want to know how uh, patients out there can reach you. Um, generally, um, in public service, I really think that there's a different, there's a public and a private field. Public service, once you get a GP referral, I, I work in St. James now at present, so you can always get referrals in. And hopefully that doesn't lead to a flooding of patients. <laughs> but I think they are, they, are, they are private clientele as well, but I think there's a public need as well. So mm -hmm. I think privates, you can always call around, you can find my name. Um, um, but I really want to highlight that that there is a need for it in the public service and some patients just need to go that direction as well. So mm. once you get a referral from probably your GP, they will evaluate the need because my center is a tertiary center. You know, I would like to see everybody, but I generally we see mostly the breast cancer patients, but we could see um, benign breast disease as well. Mm -hmm. um, but um, my email, you can I can give out my email if it's an, not an issue. Um, yeah, sure. But I can probably send that to you guys. You uh, can give it out. Yeah, you can give it out. So it's L Y R O N N E O L. This is Olivier at, at gmail.com. And I, I will try my best to respond to emails. So mm -hmm. it's L Y R O N N E. That's my first name, Laurent. And O L, common letters, no space, um, at gmail.com. Mm. Thank yeah. you, Dr. Oliver, and, and thanks to the listeners. Thank you, Carrie B. Thank you to Tosca, and hope you all have a good day. Thank you, Dr. Thank you so Rambacus. Much. Thank you so much. I missed you. <laughs> <laughs> all right, have a good one. I'll see you guys on the next Thank side. Have a good one. When you need the independence to speak your mind, you take it on the all-new talk radio, Freedom, Freedom. 106.5 FM.